looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Happy New Year's, guys, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is The Stealthy Rich. You can find him on StealthyRich.com or on Instagram at The Stealthy Rich. We've had him on the show before. He talks about uh, his buy and hold single family rentals in the Texas market that he has. But today we're changing it up a little bit. He actually syndicated a large apartment complexes with roughly 160 units. And he's going to dive deep into how he did that, talk about the fundamentals of it, how they found the deal, funded it and all the good stuff and what they plan on doing with it for the business plan of that deal. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you made the best of 2020 and to an even better year of 2021. See you guys in the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Chris, the Stealthy Rich over on Instagram. Chris has been on the show before. He was actually one of our uh, most listened to episodes. Actually, Chris, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite an honor. Hey, Dante. Yeah. Uh, my name's Chris. We got my partner Dave. We run the, the stealthyrich.com and at the stealthy rich on Instagram. Uh, we've done quite a bit of, of buy and holds. We love real estate and we're happy to talk about it any chance we get. Awesome. So tell us real quick um, what your portfolio is looking like right now because your portfolio has drastically changed since last time we've had you on the show. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, this year of, of COVID and and uh, all kinds of things, a lot of changes. We decided to really, you know, take advantage of uh, our uh, extra time, if you will. And so we, uh, at the beginning of this year, we were at about 56 uh, buy and hold um, single family homes. And uh, in the last three months, we have acquired uh, an additional 200 units in um in uh, multifamily, and so that's My two man. two separate buildings: uh, a 55 unit, and uh, or a 53 unit, and then a 145 unit building that we just that we just took down uh, last last two weeks. Now, is are those two buildings the same property, or are they separate properties? They are they're separate, and we want to, but we basically partnered with a third person who uh, who had just purchased the 53 unit, and because of the craziness of how quickly we got the the 145 unit, we put it in the same entity as the 55 unit. And so by buying the 145 unit, we became owners of the 55 unit as well. And I wouldn't wow. recommend that necessarily to people, but that's just how this happened because of the quickness of how we had to move to, to get the, 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 the bigger one. And, awesome. and the reason well, for that, yeah. And the reason for that was, I mean, I can go in if you want, but there was, it was, it was, you know, it was off market. Uh, we had to move within 24 hours to put an offer on this place. And the numbers were just so good that we, we had no choice, but, but uh, to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's part of the game is moving quick because if you did wait 48 hours more, I'm sure someone else would have scooped it up. Correct. Exactly. One of the numbers seeing how good it was. Let's uh, so you've got average Joe's on here that are listening. You've also got yes, syndicators, yes. you got investors. They want to know how are you able to go from all these single family houses to scaling up to these hundred plus unit properties that you've been doing. Talk to us. How did right. that even come across your plate? Was it something you were looking for? 
Yeah. So we'd always been wanting, you know, we hear this all the time listening to podcasts that people, you know, if you, once you do multifamily, you'll never go back to single family. I'm not in that boat yet. I love single family. What we've done over the last seven years, I'm very content with and I love it. However, you always want to know is, is the grass greener, you know, so we thought we'd give it a try. So maybe we'll talk again in a year and I'll let you know what, what I think, but right. you know, very similar to monopoly uh, going from houses to hotels in that game uh, is what the data shows, right? If you do it right. And so the way we found this one, uh, Dave had been going to lunch with uh, our third partner uh, who wasn't a partner at the time, just as a, as a, uh, a connection within Houston. Uh, we met each other on bigger pockets years ago and just quarterly had lunches just to, you know, stay afloat of what was going on in the area. Right. And this, uh, this gentleman, the deal had come across his desk and he knew that he, it would be the biggest one he'd ever taken down. So he had taken down, he had bought the 55 unit earlier and owns a property management company that's done hundreds of doors uh, managed and wanted help, you know, experience um, of taking down. So it was kind of the mixture of all three of our skill sets to be able to get the money to, to purchase this. And we did, we did syndicate it. Uh, it was a nine million dollar purchase price, awesome. uh, and we raised three point two million, which we can get into in a second if we'd like. But that's that's basically the numbers. And the way it worked was, the uh, it's 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 very complicated. But the, the gentleman who owned it has Wipe owned it for ten years. Wipe the smile off your face, would you? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gentleman who owned it had owned it for over ten years, and it was the end of his his fanny loan, right? So it, he either had to refi it or sell it. That's what that oh, was. The work. term yeah, was coming due, the balloon. Correct. So you had a horizon, right? So you had to decide what to do with it. And he was an older gentleman, had some health problems and he was, he was done. Right. And so he was ready to sell it and he sold it to, uh, it was off market to a, a California investor. And they, because of COVID, uh, they have a lot, most of their buildings are 250 units plus. And they've been seeing a lot of negativity because of everything that's going on with renters and coronavirus and all this. They right. wanted to get very uh, cash heavy because they were just they wanted to weather the storm. Makes and sense. so they yeah, so they thought, you know what, we don't want this building in Houston. We're just gonna assign it. And so they assigned it to us, the contract, uh, for um, an they additional five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, they wholesale an apartment complex. Um, and uh, and then so we, and then that's how our third partner got a, got a hold of it uh, from a, a local broker who just knew that his name's Kevin, that Kevin, you know, could do this. Right. And, and then that's how we then act very quickly to get this thing under contract. So we had a very short time frame to finance this, raise the money. I mean, less than 30 days. Right. And so we had to get really uh, educated really fast and, and it was a whole new world. And I will say, I have never been this stressed out in my life over the last two months. And I, we, I'm sure. <laughs> and it's a total different ball game, uh, bigger players. Uh, I felt like I was in a lot less control. Uh, and there were many times when I felt like it was not going to go through. Uh, and we could talk about that as well, but it was, it was definitely a stressful time, but it finally did close two weeks ago and we're, we're off to the races. Congratulations on that. So being that you're not a syndicator, you're more of a buy and hold kind of guy. This isn't what, really what you focus on. How'd you guys go about underwriting it, projecting rents and, you know, basically telling your investors what's going on with this deal? Right. Right. So we, we came up with a, a, a you know, private placement agreement and a memorandum and all of the, uh, we used an SEC attorney 
and uh, lots of willing to share on here or not not wanting to share on here who you use. Uh, the, I I uh, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but he's okay. He, that's fine. If anyone can can hit me up on Instagram, I can let you know. Uh, he was fantastic, and we also retained another attorney to help us kind of cut our teeth on this process. And we made quite a few errors along the way. We actually went through uh, two different lenders. Um, oh, we started wow. out, so so we had less than 30 days. So we had to use a, what's called a bridge <laughs> lender, right? So a bridge lender is someone who gives you a higher rate, uh, much more aggressive terms, almost like a hard money lender. Uh, and it's, a, you know, allows you to get a, you know, a one year, maybe 18 month kind of bridge to yeah, then bridge get into loan more, is what it's referred yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, bridge product to get into a more permanent uh, financing. And so we thought that was our only option. And so we got this, you know, the broker helped us find some people and it was a firm in New York and they were, you know, do, calling in all the inspections and everything was going fine. And we got this inspector from hell who uh, mm. <clears throat> just was just, I mean, he had a couple screws loose, but basically was treating this 1970s building you know, I think of it as like a 1970s Mustang. Like an A-class. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he was treating it like a, like a Tesla, right? He was like, this needs to be, you know, everything needs to be redone. You got to build up to all these codes. And we had already underwritten it based on what we knew on other 1970s product would need from a CapEx perspective, a cap, capital expenditures. And he just went nuts. And so when the lender saw that, they kind of, and they realized that this guy was a little, a little screwy, but you know, they just didn't, weren't that comfortable. And so by the time we were done with that process and the fact that COVID has been very different, I would say in New York than, uh, than in Texas overall, or at least New, yep. York, New York city specifically. So they were very um, reluctant to lend us money. And they actually retraded us the second day. And I explained what that means the second day before closing by jumping the rate up by three points, uh, <laughs> doubling our CapEx reserves from about 500,000 to a million, basically making it impossible for us to close the loan. And they knew that, right? right? And I thought and we, at this point, we had $260,000 hard in this deal, right? Oh my gosh, you had and to close so, it. Right, and so we're like, well, we can't do this. And so we went back to the seller and begged for an extension. And the gentleman was so kind and said, of course, you know, we want this to happen. And so we extended another 25, 30 days dropped that first lender and actually went with a local community bank that we've done many houses with in Houston. There you go. And, and it was like a true partner and the rate was much better. The terms was much better. Instead of three points, it was one point. Um, the rate. Did was you guys have to get cost. another inspection report or probably so, no, we are re resigned everything. The, the appraisal, the, the environmental, the, um, everything was reassigned. So it was very, I mean, there were some fees, but it was totally worth it in the end. And, uh, you know, so we learned a valuable lesson there to, you know, be very careful about who you work with at the beginning and try to do all the research um, to, you know, pick a, a, um, a, a very good uh, lender. So, wow. anyway, so that was, that was, so luckily we learned that lesson and we got to keep the property. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy that they gave you an extension like that. That's awesome. Now, yeah. when you guys, were you using any metrics to predict what the property is going to produce as far as like IRR, cash on cash, yes. equity multiple? Yeah. So we use an IRR and when we ran the numbers to begin with, it was coming out like stupid, like 21, 22% IRR. And we thought, you know what? Five we year old? Uh, yeah. 10 year. 10 year. Okay. Yeah. And so we were telling the, um, 
our, uh, you know, our third investor, he's like, and he's a CPA. He's like, I can't make these numbers any more lower. This, this is too good. Right. And wow. so we finally figured out how to get it down to 18 just to, for our investors so that, uh, you know, so it'd be you know, more realistic. But yeah, so the IRR is 18. Basically, this property, I give you so many stats on it, but it, it has never filled a lease in 10 years using the Internet. So, wow. so it's been right, under it market is, grossly. It has been under market and 99% occupied. So we bought it at 98%, 99% occupied, which means the rents are too high or too low, right? The rents are yep. too low. And so we think on day one, we can raise the rents 50 to $60 without doing a thing, mm, right? And they and it would still be okay. But we, are, we have a plan in our budget to rehab uh, a good chunk of the units, uh, about $5,000 each. For each okay. unit, and that normal, will yeah. raise the rent about 100 120 dollars. We think, uh, and that's doing you know the floors, two tone paint, LVP on the floors, two tone paint, all new black appliances, uh, redoing the tub if necessary, new faucets, new light fixtures, uh, pretty much the whole nine yards, new doorknobs. Okay, so for yeah. the value add perspective, you're gonna you know put about five thousand, which is pretty normal for a light value add in the units. Are you right. guys doing anything exterior for the property? Any rebrand? Yes. So we're going to rebrand the whole thing. It has a very, uh, I would say, 90% uh, Hispanic population, which we love. Uh, and so we're going to rebrand it. We're also going to, it has two laundry rooms. They are currently empty. Uh, at the beginning of March <laughs> this year, COVID, uh, they pulled the machines out, the, the third-party vendor. We've already been in contact with them. He's going to bring them back. We might repaint and retile those laundry rooms a little bit. So that'll add some value uh, for us. Um, we're also going to, uh, we re- we're going to have to redo about half the roofs. What happened was they're just at the end of their, their useful life. And so we're going to spend about $100,000 to redo. It's, it's 10 buildings and we're going to redo about five of them, four or five of them, I think, uh, with, new, with new roofs. Uh, and then also there's a bunch of just deferred maintenance in terms of the trees we need to trim back. Uh, we're going to do some exterior painting uh, you know, just kind of spruce the place up a bit to make it a place. It's not in terrible shape right now. I mean, it's, you know, 99% occupied. It just needs kind of a, a nice um, refurb job, right? Yeah, no, I need some love. Yeah. Now, yeah. did you guys do 506B or 506C? We did a 501 uh, 3C. C, wait. Say that again. Sorry, you cut out. Uh, 506B or 506C offering? C. Um, See, okay. See, yeah. So real quick, I just want to take a quick pause just to explain to the listeners what the difference is. So 506B, you cannot advertise. You can only have 35 non-accredited investors and you can have an unlimited amount of accredited investors. 506B, bravo, you have to have previous relationships with the investors. Um, and then 506C, which you guys did, you can have an unlimited amount of accredited investors. You can advertise whatever you want. And for those that are listening, accredited means... Uh, a few things. One, your net worth outside of your home is a million dollars or more, or in the past two years, plus uh, you make $250,000 or more a year uh, married filing joint. Um, so that's what that means for those guys that are listening. Um, why'd you guys go with 506C? Well, so yeah, so we did all of our, you know, we raised 3.2 million and most of it was our, our friends and um and family, right? And so we wow. did, uh, you know, and it, it went really quick. Like we did it in two days. And so it was, um, and it was a hundred thousand dollar minimum for us. 
uh, you could partner with somebody and, and uh, you know, form an LLC if you wanted to. Uh, but so that way we have about 20, 28 or so um, investors in this. Now, were these investors that did like private money or hard money on your other projects or were these fresh investors? These are mostly fresh investors who've just followed us the whole time and basically said, once you guys, you know, we've seen that you've been successful over the last seven years and we love real estate. We don't know how to get into it very, you know, we're, mm. we're professionals and the rest of the world, but we have, you know, some liquidity. We'd like to invest with you if you're going to, you know, show us an 18% IRR. Uh, and we kind of do ours a little bit different, right? So our, our syndication, uh, and this might be unique uh, from what anything you've heard, we do a 65-35 split. Uh, so 65% for the, for the limited partners. And the yep. way that works is uh, that split kicks in after they get 100% of their money back. So, the, so, so let me, I kind of said that backwards, but the limited partners get 100% of the return on the property until they get their money back. Wow. And then once they get their money back, they get 65% in perpetuity. Okay. So it allows, it's a little bit different structure, but it allows, uh, as it says, the generals to make sure that we're working for the limited partners, you know, and it gets their money back quick, quicker so that then we can then invest it hopefully on the next deal. Right. Reinvest right? it. So They're still keeping their equities position, making the returns. Correct. And so it's a little bit different than the, the classic pref return you might see on other syndications. But uh, for us, we, we believe in it and we, we think it, we think it works. Uh, how quick do you guys have predicted that the investors will get their initial capital back? How many years? Uh, in the first uh, four to five years. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe quicker, depending on. So we're going to do a refi, um, you know, in the next. Uh, well, we'll see how. <laughs> we'll see because this this uh, this this uh, loan we got is pretty good, but we might do a, a fanny refi in the next couple of years, uh, which depending on how much rehab we do, we might be able to. Um, pull out some cash, right? Okay. And pay so them off that on... way instead of just off of cash flow exactly. to take longer. Exactly. Exactly. That's the plan. Okay. And did you guys charge an acquisition fee up front for doing the project? Yes. Yeah. So it's, um, it was $225,000. Uh, so it was a fixed fee. rate. It wasn't a percentage. Correct. Correct. And then it's a 1% refi fee. Uh, once we refi, uh, and you know, and at first I was like, this is crazy, but after all the work we did, I, I definitely feel like we earned that. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's and earned hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But uh disposition but yeah, pretty... asset management as well. Uh yeah, and then a one percent on the disposition. Yep. Okay. And asset management as well. Oh uh, yeah, uh, so one percent of the rents yearly. Okay. So gross collected rents, that is? Correct, correct. Okay. Correct. So real quick, I'm gonna again direct it over towards the listeners just to educate them on what we're talking about here. So you've got four different fees you're typically uh charging for as a syndicator or GP to the LPs for the project. Uh, the first one is the acqui uh, acquisition fee. So that's basically like, I guess you could say a quote unquote commission or percentage, or it could be a fixed amount. It's for doing all the work, all the due diligence, right. putting the deal together, doing the raise. That could be anywhere from one to 3%. I've seen it as high as 6%. Um, asset management fee. It's almost like a property management fee. It's a percentage, uh, like Chris said, of gross collected rents. So whatever they collected, they get 1% of that year or however you guys do the payouts quarterly, uh, the distributions yep. monthly, um, you're getting that for managing the assets. So basically you're on top of the property management overseeing the entire project. Then you have the refinance fee. So Chris said he's going to refinance the property, hopefully year three or four, I believe, pay back the investors, their initial investment, 
keep their equity position, but Chris and his partner partners are also going to get a fee from that, a percentage of the refinance loan amount. Then you have the last one, which is our disposition fee. It's almost like a sales commission fee. So um, there is a percentage or it can be a fixed uh, amount for the property. Once they sell it, they get for following through with the deal. So sometimes the payday is at the end for the GPs versus the LPs get it throughout the deal. So it just depends. Uh, Chris, you agree with everything I said there? Yes. Yes. 100%. Right. Um, yeah. And ours is, like I said, we're, ours is a 65, 35. So they'll get 65%, uh, the, the limited partners right throughout the deal after they get a hundred percent of their money back, uh, which, you know, it's kind of a little bit different. So it kind of accelerates the IRR in our, in our view. Um, so they get their money back and then hopefully we'll get a taste of what, you know, how this works and hopefully want to do it again. Most definitely. And is that a 65, 35 split on sales proceeds as well? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Um, let, let's talk about property management a little bit. What yeah. were you guys doing in your single family portfolio before? Were you doing property management or were you self-managing? Self-managing. Okay. And what are you guys doing with this? Yeah. So we're using an affiliate. So our third partner actually owns a property management company. That's so right. We're using, saying that. Right. So he, uh, we are actually retaining all of the employees that were all re- working at the, the apartment complex because they are fantastic and they're doing a great job. They just now work uh, for this management company. Right. So the, the, the day the owner sold it, he went and paid the last check, their last you know, working check to them. And then on Monday, they started working uh, for the property management company, uh, which our third partner uh, owns. Okay. So and, it's, it's a bit of a self-manage, I guess you could say, but yeah. Dave and I are not participating. We're going to help with the rehab and kind of the bigger ticket items, uh, but the day-to-day leasing and, and tickets and managing of the, uh, the asset in terms of um, you know, property management, we will not be uh, involved in. Okay. And are you guys, all three of you overseeing asset management or is it just yes. a few of you guys? All three. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and if you're willing to share, what are you guys breaking out as far as property management fee? What percentage of gross rents are you guys? Have That's a good upon? question. I believe I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I believe it's 4% um, wow. is, okay. of gross rents. Yeah. Is, is going to uh, property management. So. Okay. And, and real quick for those that are listening as well with property management, I mean, it can range anywhere from three to 10%, depending on the asset. So single families are typically going to be 10% because that's all the income that's bringing in is that single unit. Uh, stuff south of uh, 50 units is going to be in that eight to 10% range. And once you start getting 100 units and higher, you kind of use the scale to kind of grow in. Uh, you have an onsite manager sometimes, and you can get as low as 3% in property management. So that's what you'll see fluctuate for the property management charges of percentage. I'm going to make one correction, not to you, to me earlier. Okay. We did do a 506B. I misspoke. Okay. Uh, we did a 506B. And so that was, you know, we had accredited investors and then sophisticated investors, right? And they had to have a prior relationship with us. Um, but, you know, that's, there's some, uh, and we made sure that with the SEC attorney that we were doing it all above board. So Most definitely. Yeah. And, and again, just want to point out to the listeners, the reason why Chris and like projects we do with ourselves, we have to file with the SEC, have an SEC attorney is because we're basically selling a security. If Correct. there is money being collected and not asking for any work in return, but giving returns to them for the money they've invested with us. And it's a passive role. It's a security. Now, if Chris and I said, okay, let's partner up on this building. We'll raise no capital. 
I'll bring all the capital. Chris, uh, you do a majority of the work, but I'm going to step in and help with some work. That's more of a joint venture structure. We don't have to go through the SEC process uh, because even though I'm giving him funds, I'm still involved with those funds working. Um, so some people like to fine line it with the JV versus the, uh, the right. syndication, but you might as well do it right. Play it safe when you're talking this game we're doing here. Yeah, especially on our first one. And, and, and again, a lot of these people are friends that I've had for a long time and I want to make sure I'm doing it right. And that, you know, so very, uh, you know, Dave and I have always with our 60 houses, they're all our own. We kind of run them a little more quote unquote lean in my opinion, uh, you know, whatever we're comfortable with. Uh, but as soon as other people's money's involved, we definitely want to make sure that we're uh, being as, as uh, careful and, and conservative as possible as we hopefully can, uh, you know, make it successful for them. Yeah. Did you guys have anyone do anything through like a self-directed IRA or was everything just regular funds or everything was, it's a good question. I, at least the ones that Dave and I were responsible for were all uh, regular funds. Right. So there's a lot of people we had that have some uh, um, extra income, if you will. Right. So they needed a place to put it and uh, they were, they were excited to, to kind of get on to diversify, if you will from the normal market or, or from whatever business they were into to doing some real estate. So most, most people, in fact, we had to turn away quite a few people uh, because wow. we, 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 we were oversubscribed. Right. And so um, we told them to get them on the next one, which is always a good feeling and a, and a nice uh, uh, positive faith builder to make sure that, you know, people hopefully have some trust in you. Yeah. I mean, you haven't geared up for the next one. And what we mean by regular versus self-directed IRAs is literally, you know, Chris went to him, you know, give them this opportunity and they most likely wired the funds or wrote a check to invest the money personally from their bank accounts or whatever. When I say self-directed IRA, that means their IRA, it's coming from their IRA. They're uh, taking funds out of their retirement, putting it in real estate. And if you guys want to listen more on that, episode 41 talks about that a lot. So if you go over to my show, episode 41 talks about uh, self-directed IRAs as well as episode 32. Um, how you can actually invest in real estate through your Roth or traditional IRA, which is a really powerful tool. Um, Chris, a- anything else you want to touch on on that deal? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's I mean, a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very it's nice and close. It's in our same city, so we can go down there, you know, as often as we need to to uh, inspect it. So that's that's been a huge blessing and 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 very very lucky for us. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. It's it's all about scale, and you you touched on that, right? That if we make one change, we then multiply it by 145 units, and that yep. change can then transfer into additional NOI or net net operating income, which then increases the value, right? And so that's been a shift for me to remember that in our in our single family houses the rents don't really matter. I mean, they matter, but they keep us in the game. What matters is the value of the property and the value of the property is based on the neighbor's house, right? In residential yep. housing and comps. and comps, it's all comps, right? And we've watched those continually go up and that's been great. But with this multifamily asset, we have what feels like at least complete control to reduce expenses by however we, how aggressive we want to be and raise rents, thus increasing income, which then increases the NOI. And then based on your capitalization rate, that then increases the value of the property, right? And then that is what matters when you then go to do a, um, a refi or a, you know, another loan and they do an additional appraisal and they look at your income and they say, wow, okay, 
this building and it's not worth nine million, it's now worth twelve million, yeah. right? And so that number is significant, right? Then that's three million dollars of value we've created. Oh, that's not weird. That three million dollars yeah. is like what you put into the property, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so exactly, and so that's the kind of uh, you know that's why I can see why this can be very attractive to people, uh, you know, maybe above and beyond single family homes, but. Uh, there's also more room for, uh, for problems, I would assume as well. But uh, but that shifting from a from a comp perspective to an NOI and value uh, perspective has been very interesting to me to watch and and kind of understand and and hopefully you know kind of supercharge the the net worth. <laughs> Commercial real yeah. estate's just one big burr, baby. You know that's right. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So the burr method doesn't work as as well on the multifamily, but it it does. I mean. Like I said, the control you have to to add value based on your projections, right? So the, the blessing on this one was that it was already basically 100% occupied. Many of these deals, it's a class C property. Many of them you buy, you know, maybe 70, 60% occupied. You got a boiler down, a couple bad buildings, whatever. And you have to then rehab all those and then hope for the best and, you know, base. But ours is already 100% occupied. So what we're going to do is as as tenants come up for renewal, we'll bring them up to market rent. If they leave, that's, you know, we'll wish them on their way and we'll rehab the unit and then raise the rents even more, right? Um, so we're also going to be buying stuff from hopefully from China. We're going to try the, the China route for flooring and a couple other things to help hopefully lower our, our material costs. But based on those projections, that's how we're going to get to our, our uh, increased NOI and then eventually to, um, uh, you know, the, a payday, hopefully. Now, when you guys got the appraisal back, did it appraise at your purchase price or a little bit higher? Or do you not call it higher your head? It did. Yeah. So it appraised it, I think, at 9.1 million. So you, so remember these numbers. And this is this is another reason why the first New York lender backed out. So <clears throat> we the per, the sales price was for eight and a half million. They then did a five hundred thousand dollar assignment fee, which made it nine million for us. So we to paid nine guys, million. Yeah. Right. It appraised for nine point one. So it should be no problem for any bank, but this lender could not get over the $500,000 assignment fee. They thought for sure it was shady. They didn't want to pay someone $500,000 for doing nothing, which I agree with. Right. But the building appraised, right. It was worth 9.1 million. And that was the, uh, I think that the key reason why they retraded us at the end and said, we don't want to do this deal. Right. And so we made it very clear on the next lender. Hey, this is all the details. This is what's happened. The appraisal still came back at 9.1. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful the seller didn't try to sell it to somebody else for 9.1, right? Cause he's only right. getting 8.5, but, um, he was, you know, you don't want to know what he paid for it years ago. I mean, the guy made a killing, right? Which is great. Oh, I'm sure. Which Millions. Is what, which, right. Which is what we hope to do in 10 years. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so it appraised for 9.1. So above, uh, you know, above our purchase price and based on rents going back to, uh, you know, the classic rent to price ratio analysis, which we use on all of our single families that made this building appraise at like a, or sorry, not appraise uh, rate at a, like a 1.3 rent to price ratio, which for me is insane in multifamily. You just don't get those. You don't um, get that single. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I'm very excited uh, um, for that, for that, what that means potentially for this, for this multifamily building. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, guys, listen, you, you got a gentleman right here who started with a bunch of single families added onto those single families and then almost overnight added 200 units onto his portfolio, just about, I mean, right. So it's, it's the equivalent of buying. So 
we, we, we look at our single family houses in Houston of being at about $100,000 each. That's what, we, that's what we paid for them. They're worth about 150 each, but we usually pay about 100. So this is the equivalent of buying 90 houses at once, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's definitely a kind of a way to kind of supercharge. But, um, but yeah, so it's been, but again, I don't think there's any way I could have gotten a multifamily without my single family experience, right? So the way to become a, a general partner, uh, you know, they looked at our balance sheet, they looked at our experience and the banker said, okay, you know, we're willing to take a chance, even though this is your first multifamily deal, uh, Chris and Dave, you know, you have real estate experience and you have talked the right game. We think, you know, and then Kevin, our third partner has done multifamily. So that's a way for us to get our, essentially our hands stamped at the dance to be able to be a general partner in the future as well. Yeah, that is great. All right, Chris, love the story. Love how the project's going. Wish you the best of luck on that project. Did you have anything else for that topic you wanted to touch on before we go to the next section of the show? No, I think, I think that's good. If anyone has any questions, just come reach out to me. We, we're going to document it as we go, and I'm sure we're going to make some mistakes, but hopefully we can all learn from them. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. All right, so we're going to switch over to the Curious Cues. I believe uh, last show I asked you a majority of these questions, but we're going to fire them at you again. Okay, I uh, hope I don't get first, the same answers. <laughs> that's okay if you do. Uh, first question is, uh, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Oh, man. Um, I really love, you know, my, the one I always go back to is uh, the good old NPR Planet Money. You know, okay. uh, so I love macroeconomics and just kind of understanding how all of the big things work, whether it's, you know, our monetary policy or uh, China or real estate or how COVID's affecting it. And so Planet Money always gives very uh, basic things that I can understand uh, and kind of dumbs it down into 30 minutes. And uh, I love it. It's great. It's a great awesome. podcast. Favorite book you enjoy reading? Uh, so the one I finished recently, um, Atomic Habits. It's a fantastic book. You know, I'm always trying to, you know, either do whether take care of my body or you know, try to be more productive in life. That book has been an exceptional way how to kind of pair habits together. So whether like if you're really good at brushing your teeth at night and you're not good at, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, charging your phone or something, you know, something stupid like that, pair those habits together so that you, the other habit that you aren't as good at becomes second nature to you right and so that book has a lot of great habits or a lot of great ideas on how to build and foster positive habits and how to end and stop bad ones as well so um it's a great book biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome biggest hurdle finding lending in the last minute yeah no i would say (laughs) managing my time right so the whole reason i went into real estate was to eventually exit uh, you know, the nine to five and doing that all at once, you know, so I still have a nine to five that I enjoy, but it takes time. And then building this real estate, um, we'll call it an empire, but you know, whatever has been something where I think the reason I'm doing all this is for my family, right. And my, I have four boys and to make sure that I'm not neglecting them, but still giving, you know, an honest, work to my employer, giving all the attention it needs to my partnership with Dave to make sure that I'm not shirking there. But at the same time, not neglecting my family has been uh, the biggest kind of hurdle. And what I like to equate it to is um, juggling, right? So I have 
glass balls that I'm juggling and rubber balls. And I need to learn how to, I can drop the rubber ones and they'll bounce back up. But if I drop the glass mm. ones, they're not coming back. Right. And so right. just as, as my life becomes more complicated, I have to make sure that I'm careful to really focus on what matters and not neglect, you know, like my kids, they're going to be like, I've, I have a freshman in high school. He's going to be gone in four years. It's crazy to me. Right. And so make sure that I don't, you know, waste my time or not waste my time, but use my time on things that should be spent with him instead. So I would say that's been my biggest hurdle is as this thing grows to make sure that I uh, focus on, on what matters uh, most and not neglect it because that's the reason I got into it in the first place. If that makes right. sense. Right. No, yeah. no, that's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah. Favorite non real estate related hobby. Pickleball. Okay. Have you ever heard of pickleball? pickleball. I haven't got that one yet. <laughs> oh, dude, me and Dave play three times a week and uh you didn't even know what pickleball is yes okay all right yeah so it's you know a lot of people don't so pickleball is my new favorite thing and it's good it helps me stay healthy and it's competitive and it's super fun so if anyone hasn't played pickleball go look it up on youtube and then it's it's got a small it's the learning curve is not steep like golf or tennis but it's hard to master right so it's it's really fun to play with uh three other people Interesting. Haven't got that one yet, but uh, I like good. it. Good. Good. Newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started or uh, just excel more in their business? Uh, I mean, if, if anyone, we always say this, if anyone, if we can do this, anybody can do it. And so what I right. think that means is the power I remember as a kid, you know, I grew up without the internet at the beginning of my life in elementary school and, and, uh, and middle school. And whenever we had to learn something, we had to go through the stupid card catalog Right. The do and and like find and there was one book on it, you know, and it wasn't that great. And now with YouTube and the internet, you can learn anything in a matter of minutes. And so for free almost. For free, exactly. And so I mean, like this podcast, right? I mean, there's anything you want to know about, somebody is an expert somewhere, and they're probably willing to teach you for free or almost free. And so if you don't know something just go out and search for it and become a master at Google and you will learn it and then just try it. Right. So with real estate, how that applies is uh, whether you need to reach out and figure out how to learn a few concepts and then just do it. Right. And I know that sounds so cliche, but the idea to just take that step forward, find a partner, uh, you know, if you're really passionate about it or really want to do it, you guys got to jump in and there's ample resources on the internet to help you do that. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Chris, Mr. Stealthy Rich, where can people connect with you if they want to hear more about you, ask you what's going on with the deal or even invest with you? Sure. So at the Stealthy Rich on Instagram or the stealthyrich.com, we try to outline all of our deals. I'll be honest, I haven't posted a lot there because the last three months has been crazy <laughs> with this apartment. But um, we, you, can, you can contact us at either of those places, our website or uh, on Instagram, and we'd be, we answer every, every DM we get. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show and we'll uh, have you on again soon. All right. Thanks, Dante. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.